We're in Philippians 1. We're going to be in verses 12 through 14 this morning. And so I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Philippians 1. And as we come here to these verses, verses 12 through 14, we come to a new section in this letter to the Philippians. Verses 3 through 11, we saw Paul's opening thanksgiving and prayer for the Philippian believers. Now we're going to get into some details that he wants the Philippians to know. As his thoughts now shift in this letter that he's writing to the Philippian believers. And so let me begin our time by reading our passage for us. Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 12. Follow along as I read our passage for us. Now I want you to know, brethren that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. I want to tell you about a man named Stephen. Stephen, he was an amazing man. He was a bold man who was not afraid to share his faith. He was a man who was full of wisdom and grace and power. Stephen lived in Jerusalem sometime around A.D. 34. And as he lived there in Jerusalem, as a believer, there were men there in Jerusalem who did not like him because of his faith. These men, in fact, made a plot against Stephen, and they called on others to lie about Stephen, and then act as witnesses and make false claims against him that he was a blasphemer of God. And their plot worked. It worked. Stephen was eventually dragged before the Sanhedrin, those who were the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and he was asked to give an account for the charges that were brought against him. And so Stephen, with boldness, stood up and gave an amazing sermon as he started in Genesis and worked his way through the Old Testament and gave a masterful defense of the Christian faith. And then he comes to the end of his sermon and he condemns the Jewish leaders for their rejection of Christ, their Messiah. So what did these Jewish leaders do with Stephen? They stoned him to death. They killed him. And they thought that by getting rid of Stephen, that they might be able to hinder the gospel. If we can just get rid of this man, we will stop the gospel, or at least we will hinder it. On this day, after Stephen was stoned, a great persecution then began against the church there in Jerusalem. It seemed like their plan was working. Stephen is dead. Persecute the church and the gospel will stop. It'll stop spreading. Because according to what man calls common sense, if you persecute the church and kill the Christians, then that will stop the gospel from going forth. But God doesn't work according to man's common sense. God doesn't work according to man's understanding. God has his own plans that don't always line up with ours. You see, after the stoning of Stephen and the persecution of the church, it says in Acts 8.1, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. The believers were then scattered throughout the regions there except for the apostles. The apostles stayed there in Jerusalem. 
The Christians then scattered. And as they scattered, what do you think the Christians did? Let me tell you what they did. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, it says this. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. In an effort to stop the gospel from going forth, the Jewish leaders began to persecute the church, and the outcome was that the gospel began to advance. Yes, in the midst of great persecution, the gospel began to advance. The gospel went forth and it even reached the Gentiles. But in the mind of man, this doesn't make sense. To the natural man, death and persecution, suffering and imprisonment should stifle the gospel. But it doesn't. It doesn't. In fact, when we read the biblical accounts of suffering and hardship, even the accounts of church history where we see persecution and suffering of believers, the outcome is that the gospel advances. But you see, in our minds, we might think that persecution will hinder the gospel. I mean, if persecution comes, or if our religious freedoms are taken away, then that somehow is going to hinder the proclamation of the gospel. But the scriptures tell us a different story. And the Apostle Paul wants the Philippian believers to know this. He wants them to know this truth. You see, the Philippian believers were concerned for Paul and for the advancement of the gospel because Paul, at the time that he's writing to the Philippian believers, is locked up in prison. He's locked up in chains. He was bound to a, a Roman guard in Rome and was not free to move about in his missionary work of spreading the gospel. He couldn't go from town to town planting churches as he loved to do. He loved to go to towns, preach the gospel, and plant churches. He couldn't go from church to church preaching and strengthening the believers. And if you remember, Philippian believers, that Philippian church, they were great supporters of Paul and his ministry. In fact, over in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 15, he writes this, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. You alone supported me in my gospel ministry. They as a church were supporting Paul in his ministry. And they've now heard that Paul has been in prison in Rome for two years. In fact, if you look at our passage in verse 12 of chapter 1, notice what Paul says. Notice what he says there. He says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, we should stop right there. We should stop right there and ask, what circumstances? What are you talking about here, Paul? What are these circumstances that you're talking about? Well, if you were to trace the life of Paul in the book of Acts, we would see that in chapter 20 of Acts, he gives a farewell address to the Ephesian elders because he knows that he's not going to see them again. And you remember this. They gather together and they begin to weep because they know they're not going to see the Apostle Paul again. And they pray for him as they send him off. Then in chapter 21, we read about Paul being captured and beaten by the Jews. But then the Romans step in. And they arrest Paul, who is then sent over to Caesarea in chains for two years. But Paul, being a Roman citizen, says, I want to make an appeal to Caesar. I want to go and have a trial before Caesar. And so they send Paul off to Rome in chains as a prisoner 
which, by the way, was not an easy journey to Rome. If you've studied through the book of Acts, you know that there was shipwreck, disaster, hard times as they made their way over to Rome. But Paul finally reaches Rome. And I want you to hold your finger in Philippians chapter 1 and turn over to Acts chapter 28. Turn over to Acts chapter 28. This is the final account that Luke gives us in the book of Acts of what happened with Paul there in Rome after he reached Rome in chains. And look at what he says in Acts chapter 28 and verse 30. And he stayed two full years, he, Paul, stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. Paul was in chains in Rome and the Philippian believers get wind of this. And because they loved Paul and they supported him in his ministry, they want to know what's happening with him. What's going on with our beloved Paul? So what they do, what the Philippian believers do, is they send over Epaphroditus. They send Epaphroditus to Rome to go and check on Paul. Epaphroditus had a hard journey going to Rome to go and see Paul. He almost died on his way there, but he eventually makes it. He makes it to Rome. And there are two things that they want to know. Two things that the Philippians want to know. First, they want to know how Paul was doing in his imprisonment. They hear about him being bound in chains. They want to know how he is doing. But second, they want to know what is happening with the gospel. What has happened to the gospel? If you are bound in chains, Paul, what then has happened to the gospel? I mean, if Paul was in chains, did that mean that the gospel has been stopped? Now, before we jump into our passage in Philippians 1, Let me just remind you about the heart of the Apostle Paul. Paul was a preacher. He was a preacher and a missionary. And Paul didn't just preach in one location, but he traveled all over the place preaching the gospel and planting churches. That was a work that he did. And the Philippian believers know this about him. They know that he loves to preach. They know that he's a missionary and he loves to go into cities and plant churches. In fact, if you remember when Paul came into Philippi, because there weren't enough Jews there, they didn't have a synagogue. And so he found some Jewish women that were praying down by the river. And he went, and what did he do? He preached the gospel to them. He proclaimed the gospel. He then, in Philippi, was eventually put in prison where he and Silas were in prison praying and singing hymns together. That's how he responded to his imprisonment. By praying and singing hymns. God then sends an earthquake to open the doors. Their chains fall off and the jailer awakes. And he sees that the doors are open, and so what does the jailer do? He goes to kill himself because he knows that if these prisoners are set free, he's going to die, right? So he says, I'll just take my own life. He knows that that's coming to him anyways, and so as Paul and Silas see this jailer about to kill himself, they stop him. They stop him from killing himself and they preach the gospel to him and him and his family get saved. Listen, jail is nothing new to Paul. Paul's imprisonment in Rome is nothing new. He was in prison in jail there in Philippi. It wasn't new to him. 
But as we know the heart of Paul, we know that Paul was a man who loved to be on the move and preach the gospel. That was his heart. And one of the places that Paul wanted to go to preach the gospel was to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel. In fact, in Acts 19.21, it says this, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I have been there, that is in Jerusalem, I must also see Rome. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and then after I go to Jerusalem, I'm headed to Rome. I want to go to Rome so that I can go to Rome and preach the gospel. In fact, when Paul wrote his letter to the Romans from the Corinth, in Romans 1.15, he says this, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's writing to the Romans, and he says, And I want to go there. I want to preach the gospel to you. Paul's mission, Paul's goal was to get to Rome so that he could preach the gospel in that large city of over a million people. Paul wanted to reach Rome with the gospel. And he would eventually reach Rome. But it wasn't in the manner that he had planned. Paul never planned to reach Rome as a prisoner. But this was God's plan for him. And because he's a prisoner... The Philippian believers wanted to know how he was doing. And they wanted to know what had happened to the gospel. Turn back to Philippians chapter 1. And look at verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brethren. And using this expression, I want you to know, Paul is calling on the attention of the Philippians. He's calling their attention. He wants to ready their hearts to hear what he is about to tell them. I want you to know this. That is, listen up. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Now, what is amazing in Paul's response to the Philippians is that he knows that they are concerned for him and his well-being. He knows that. Back in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. He says, I know you're concerned about me. I know you want to know how I am doing. These Philippian believers, they cared for Paul. They loved him. David sent a monetary gift with Epaphroditus. They're obviously concerned about Paul, right? And Paul could have started off in verse 12 saying this, Now I want you to know, brethren, that being chained to a Roman guard 24-7 is terrible. Because that's how Paul lived. In Rome. As a prisoner. He could have said, the chains are rubbing on my arms and are very uncomfortable. I've got sores. He could have said, the smells in the house are terrible. The food isn't that good. The walls are dark. My bed isn't very comfortable. And he could have gone on and on about his difficult circumstances being in prison in Rome. Especially since he knows that they are concerned about his well-being. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't tell them about his difficult circumstances. In fact, if you look over at verse 18, look at what he says in verse 18. He says at the end of, of verse 18, And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Wait, wait, wait. Paul, you're in prison. Don't you remember that? You're in prison and you're rejoicing? If you remember back up in verse 4, 
as Paul was praying, how did he pray? Always offering prayer with joy. With joy. And then in chapter 2, in verse 17, he says this, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You're rejoicing, Paul? Don't you understand the difficult circumstances that you're in? How are you rejoicing? Paul did. He rejoiced. And yet, he's a man who has been wrongfully arrested and is awaiting trial on house arrest. He's a man who's in adverse and difficult circumstances. And yet, he is a man who is full of joy. Why? Why? Is Paul a man who is full of joy? Well, this morning I want to show you three reasons why he rejoiced in the midst of his difficult circumstances. Three reasons why Paul rejoiced in the midst of his difficult circumstances. First, reason number one is because his circumstances expanded the gospel. His circumstances expanded the gospel. Look again at verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Again, after that word circumstances, we could expect Paul to begin to talk about himself and his difficult circumstances. He could have said, I want you to know that my circumstances are difficult. I want you to know that my circumstances are unfair. I want you to know that my circumstances are, un- are unjust since I didn't do anything wrong. But Paul doesn't talk about the details and the difficulties of his circumstances. What does he do? He talks about what God is doing in the midst of his circumstances. He wants the Philippians to know that although he may have wanted to get to Rome as a free man who could move about in the city and preach the gospel, God's plan for him was to get to Rome as a prisoner on house arrest. And yet, that hasn't stopped the gospel from going forth. The Philippians are thinking that with Paul being locked up in chains, that the gospel has maybe been stopped. Or at least hindered in some way. I mean, it's the Apostle Paul. And he's now bound in chains. But Paul wants them to know that God has used his circumstances for the progress of the gospel. For the expansion of the gospel. But how can this be? How can this be? I mean, if you lock up the preacher, doesn't that stop the gospel from going forth? No. No, it doesn't. You may lock up the preacher, but that won't stop the gospel because no one can lock up the gospel. In fact, even though he's locked up, notice what he says there. He says that there is progress of the gospel. The gospel is progressing. That word progress in the Greek is a military word that's used to describe the pioneers who would march before the army and they would cut down the trees in the forest to make it possible for the army to then come after them and continue to march forward, to progress. That's the picture there of that word. And that's the picture that Paul wants to use of the gospel. It's advancing. It's moving forward. And nothing can stop it. Not even these chains that he is in can stop the advancement of the gospel. This would be the very thing that he would tell Timothy later on in 2 Timothy 2.9. In 2 Timothy 2.9, he says, For which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. You can't lock it up. 
This reminds me of James Coates last year, who was jailed, senior pastor who was jailed for keeping the church open so that they could worship the Lord, just as God commands us. They jailed him, and then Jacob Spence, who was the associate pastor there, took over, and he began preaching for James. And they continued to hold their worship services. And this last year at Shepherd's Conference, I spoke with Jacob, and I asked him how things were going, and he said, it's amazing. Our church is packed full of people. Because they've heard of the news of James and now they all want to come see what's going on. All these people are showing up to our church and guess what they're hearing? The gospel. Lock up the preacher. But that won't stop the gospel. Because you cannot put God's word in prison. And that is what Paul wants the Philippian believers to know about his imprisonment. It's not about him. Paul is not concerned with himself. It's not about him. It's about the gospel and the advancement of the gospel. One commentator says the Philippians may have been worried about Paul, but his great concern and word of comfort to them was about the gospel. Paul saw himself as expendable but the gospel as all-important. He saw himself as expendable, but the gospel as all-important. And yet so often we can get so focused on our circumstances that we take our eyes off of what is really important. Paul's an example to us that we need to be focused on Christ and the proclamation of His gospel. No matter what circumstances you and I are in. And because the gospel was continuing to advance, it brought Paul great joy. He rejoiced. But there's a second reason why Paul rejoiced in the midst of his difficult circumstances, and that is because his circumstances evangelized the lost. They evangelized the lost. Not only did they expand the gospel, but they evangelized the lost. Look at verse 13. He says, So that my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. Paul now gets a little more specific with the details of how the gospel has progressed in Rome. He gives us some details. And he begins, first of all, by talking about what the gospel has done among the unbelievers. What it's done among the unbelievers. Now at first, looking at this verse here, it seems as if Paul says nothing about the gospel. But only that the, the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else has heard about his imprisonment. But notice how he describes his imprisonment. Notice what he says there. He speaks of his imprisonment in the cause of Christ. It's in the cause of Christ. Notice if you're reading out of, out of the NASB that those words, the cause of, is italicized. It's italicized there. Why? Well, it's italicized because the translators have put that in there to help us understand the meaning of Paul and what Paul is writing there. But literally, he says this, so that my imprisonment in Christ has become well known. In Christ. Now, what does he mean by in Christ? Well, he's speaking about being in prison because of Christ. He's in prison because of Christ. Because he was preaching the gospel. That's why the Apostle Paul was arrested. He's now in Rome in chains. It's because he was preaching Christ. Now, let me 
help you understand what this looks like for Paul. As he's locked up there in Rome. When he was on house arrest for two years, his house arrest did not mean that he was free to move about as he wished. In fact, he had to be chained to a guard 24-7 so that he wouldn't escape. He was bound to a guard. And those guards that he was bound to, they were a part of what is called the Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard there in verse 13, they were the elite group of guards who served Caesar and would be a part of Caesar's household. Because they served Caesar, their job was to make sure that he was safe and secure. They were a part of Caesar's household. These were specially chosen men. They were the elite. The whole Praetorian Guard was composed of somewhere around 10,000 men. And this was a very powerful group of men. In fact, there was so much power within this group of 10,000 men that they eventually became known as king choosers because they had the power then to choose the next king. This was an elite group of men. And what happened there was that Paul was bound to one of these men 24-7. He was chained to them. And what they did is they would take a chain and they would place it on Paul's wrist and then they would place the other end of that on the guard's wrist. And the chain would be about 18 inches apart. 18 inches apart. So for two years, Paul is 18 inches apart from a Roman guard. One of the praetorian guards who were a part of Caesar's household. These guards would then rotate on six-hour shifts being locked up with Paul. So every sixth hour, a new guard would come in and he would chain himself to Paul. Now think about this for a moment. If Paul gets to Rome as a free man and begins to preach the gospel in the streets of Rome, what is one place that he most likely wouldn't be able to penetrate? Caesar's household. Caesar's household. In fact, the guards would look at him as an enemy Because he would come in preaching Christ as Lord, not Caesar as Lord. But they believed that Caesar was Lord. That was their declaration. Paul would come into Rome as a free man and he would begin preaching Christ as Lord. And what would happen? Instantly he would turn into an enemy. But... Because Paul is chained to a guard 24-7, what do these guards have to listen to? They have to listen to Paul preach the gospel. In fact, as these guards came in to be locked up to Paul, what do you think the first question they asked was? So why are you locked up? You know, I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Let me tell you. And the Apostle Paul would then go on and evangelize these guys and preach the gospel to them. The very men that worked for Caesar's household were hearing about the good news of Jesus. And it was all because of Paul's difficult circumstances as he was bound there in chains. As one commentator says, to have cracked the external shell of such an elite corps of soldiers with the gospel would have been a truly remarkable advance of the good news. 
Paul cracked it. God cracked it by putting Paul in chains in Rome so that the gospel would get in even to Caesar's household. For the gospel to go throughout the whole Praetorian Guard was something that only happened because Paul was a prisoner in chains. But it wasn't just these soldiers who were hearing the gospel. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse 13. He says, and to everyone else. And to everyone else. Now some commentators take this group of people here only to be the other people in Caesar's household. So it would be the Roman guards and everyone else in Caesar's household. Which would even include his immediate family and those then who worked for Caesar there in the palace. And they should be included in this, especially since we read at the end of Philippians, of Philippians 4.22, he says this, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. What happened to Caesar's household? Many of them got saved. They became believers. And so they are included in this. But I don't believe that everyone else stops only with Caesar's household. Since we read earlier in Acts 28.30, Paul also had opportunities to preach the gospel to those who came to his house. To anyone who came to listen. He preached the gospel with openness unhindered. And so even the people in the city, unbelievers in the city, were hearing the gospel. Even while Paul was chained up in his difficult circumstances. And this brought Paul great joy. It brought him great joy because he was able to reach not only the unbelievers of the Praetorian Guard, but also the members, the family members of Caesar's household and other believers in the city. He was able to reach them with the gospel. And even though his circumstances were difficult, it brought him great joy knowing that the gospel was expanding and that the lost were being evangelized. And so not only did Paul rejoice because of the expansion of the gospel and the evangelization of the lost, but there's a third reason why he rejoiced in the midst of his difficult circumstances, and that is because... His circumstances emboldened the believers. They emboldened the believers. Look at what he says in verse 14. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord, because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now remember, when Paul got to Rome, the church was already established there. Remember, he's already written Romans. He's wanted to go there. He's wanted to go and visit the church that's there in Rome. How did the, the church at Rome begin? Well, most likely, it began from a bunch of Romans who came to Jerusalem and heard the gospel preached on the day of Pentecost. We read this in Acts chapter 2 and verse 10. It tells us that there were Jews who had traveled from Rome to Jerusalem and were there and heard the gospel preached on the day of Pentecost. So they heard the gospel, and then they brought it back to Rome. And they preached the gospel then at Rome, and the church began. And so when Paul arrives in chains in Rome, most of the believers in Rome saw Paul's stance for the gospel, and they were encouraged and emboldened to then go and preach the gospel without fear. As one commentator says, the chained inspired the unchained. The life of one man in chains transformed the life of the church. Many of the believers were emboldened to go out and to preach the gospel. Now there were some who were not emboldened. Because of Paul's testimony. But Paul tells us that most of them were. 
Notice at the beginning of verse 14, he says, and that most of the brethren, most of them were. And as they were emboldened, Paul wants to make sure that he is not getting credit for their boldness. In fact, Paul can't even take credit because Paul needs this boldness and courage as well. Let me show you. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. It's one page to the left. Ephesians chapter 6, and look at verse 18. As Paul is writing to the Ephesian believers, he's in the same Roman imprisonment. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an, an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Even Paul, there at Rome, he needs this boldness as he depends upon the Spirit of God. Pray at all, all times in the Spirit. Pray that God's Spirit would give me the boldness to preach the truth, to preach the gospel. He needed the same boldness that most of the brethren in, in Philippi or in, in Rome had. He needed that same boldness. Look back at Philippians 1.14 and notice how he describes the believers there. He says, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord. He says they are trusting in the Lord. The word for trusting in the Greek is in the perfect tense, but with a, a present tense meaning, which simply means this. Their trusting in the Lord began in the past, but it has continuing results. They are continually trusting in the Lord. These are believers who are here in Rome who have trust in Christ. Confidence in Him. And it's because they're trusting in the Lord that they have far more courage to speak the Word of God. That's why. It wasn't because of Paul. It wasn't because of Paul's imprisonment that they had boldness. No, it was because they were trusting in Christ. He was the one who gave them the courage and the boldness. It was the Lord who gave them this courage. But it was Paul's imprisonment that spurred them on to preach the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about there. And they saw that if Paul was willing to suffer and go through hardship for the gospel, well, they were going to do it as well. And he was an encouragement to them. But it was Christ who gave them the courage to speak the gospel. And how did they do it? Notice what it says there at the end of verse 14. They did it without fear. Without fear. Meaning even if they have to be bound in chains along with Paul, so be it. They were willing to suffer hardship for Christ as they preached the gospel without fear. One commentator says it this way, they have reasoned, if the Lord can give courage to Paul to witness that while he's in chains, then he can give courage to us to witness in our difficult circumstances. They were encouraged by Paul's testimony of living for Christ even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And they were emboldened by Christ to go out and preach the gospel without fear. And what do you think were the results for these believers who went out and preached the gospel without fear all throughout Rome? What do you think the result was? They rejoiced. They rejoiced. Just as Paul rejoiced. 
they were then filled with joy. Let me ask you, what circumstances in life steal your joy? What circumstances in life steal your joy and cause you to take your eyes off of Christ and His gospel? Is it your job? Maybe a co-worker? A family member or a friend? When you're going through a trial or going through difficult circumstances, do you put your eyes on self and on your circumstances? Or do you keep your eyes fixed on Christ and the advancement of the gospel? Do you lose joy when you're persecuted or mistreated for Christ? Or do you see that as an opportunity to live out the gospel and share it with others? You see, Paul was a man who didn't allow the circumstances in his life to steal his joy. It couldn't take his joy away. And listen, Paul had every right to whine and complain about the unjust treatment that he was getting. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He used his suffering as an opportunity to be a witness for Christ. And listen, he would have had his joy taken away if his joy was dependent upon his circumstances and his pleasures. It would have been taken away four years ago when he was first beaten in Jerusalem. But his joy wasn't dependent upon his circumstances. Because his joy was tied to the progress of the gospel. And even if that meant that he would have to suffer for it, as long as Christ was exalted and the gospel was advanced, that is all that mattered to him. And that's all that should matter to us. Listen, if your joy is tied to your circumstances, then your joy will come and go. Because you're going to go through difficult circumstances. It'll be like a roller coaster with ups and downs. But if your joy is tied to Christ and the progress of the gospel, then it won't matter what happens to you in life as long as Christ is exalted and His gospel is advanced. Listen, church. We will be hated for the gospel. Just get that in your mind. Just put it there. And keep it there. We will be hated for the gospel. We will be persecuted for the gospel. But we can't allow that to affect our joy. Don't let your difficult circumstances steal your joy of living for Christ and preaching His gospel. I want to close with a quote by John Kitchen who said this, Our manifest suffering with Christ may be our best witness for Christ. Our manifest suffering with Christ may be our best witness for Christ. Well, Paul's difficult circumstances aren't over. There's more that he's going to tell us about, and we'll look at those next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul, a man who trusted in you, a man who was faithful to you, A man who longed for Christ to be exalted and for the gospel to be proclaimed. 
Lord, we know that his heart was that way because of the work that you did in his heart. Every resource, every blessing, everything that was available to Paul is available to us today as well. He had your spirit, and we have your spirit. He had your word, and we have your word. Oh God, help us to trust in you in whatever circumstance we are in, that we might bring glory and honor to your name. Father, help us to be people who would not look inward, but we would look outward, and we would look up to Christ. That we would be those who would fix our minds upon Christ and the advancement of the gospel. Lord, we know that that is what you have put us here to do, to proclaim Christ in going and making disciples of all nations. Father, help us to be faithful in that. Lord, I pray for anyone who is here this morning who does not know you, who is not a disciple of you. Father, I pray that their heart would be impacted with the gospel, that they would turn from their sin, their sin that has separated them from you, and that they would trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins, that they would receive the gift of eternal life, the free gift of eternal life that you offer to all who believe in Christ alone. Father, may you do that work in their hearts. We thank you for our time here together this morning and for how your word speaks to our hearts. Help us to live this out, to put this in our minds, put it in our hearts, that we might live it out for you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.